and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. everyone and apologies to anyone who listens like opening day of the podcast as we're a little bit late i had a gig last night and uh well i guess two nights ago now and the whole process of getting ready for the gig as well as teaching as well as a home inspection for a new house maybe um meant that i didn't have the energy to sit in the basement and record the podcast for when it normally comes out um i just have to say mad mad respect for people who go out and do gigs in public uh like, especially, like, the random bagpiper shows up at a thing gig rather than, like, a funeral or a wedding. Or uh, most of my playing in public is in museum settings where people are already kind of in a we're-here-to-learn mode. Uh, and you still get some weird questions and, and weird interactions. But, man, showing up at a party where people aren't expecting bagpipes, uh, I have realized, like, no, just the, the masses in the United States don't know how to interact with bagpipers. And... So some of their worst tendencies come out in order to like, uh, because you know, like they just want to talk. They want to talk. They don't know how to initiate a conversation about this thing that they want to know about. And so it manifests itself in like weird, uh, gotcha questions and trivia, but like, I don't know. Anyway, it was a interesting experience. Uh, and it gave me a lot of respect. Like I, I already respected people that were doing gigs regularly, but that level of, uh, interaction with the public thing is, uh, yeah, it was surprising. Anyway, so uh, this episode, uh, speaking of uh, entertaining the public, one of the reasons I really liked doing this gig is it reminded me of this tendency that was happening towards the end of the 18th century where, you know, Scottish Highland regiments had gone, like the Highlanders, uh, we're going to call them that, like Jacobites and uh, people wearing kilts had been the boogeymen of the United Kingdom and in England uh, for a long time, right? Um you know, especially in the lead up to and following the Jacobite Rebellion. But by, you know, 1755, a lot of Highland regiments are called up to uh, fight in the Seven Years' War, kind of around the world, but especially uh, for my interests in North America. And like, rather than losing those fights, they kept winning them. And quickly, Highlanders and Highland regiments were kind of rebranded as fashionable, right? Uh, there's a cool description of this in Hugh Cheap's book on is it the tartan book? I don't know. The tartan book or the bagpipe book. One of these things talks about how it was fashionable to have a Highlander show up at your party in uh, 18th century London, like still when the prescriptions were on. So like 1770s uh, and early 1780s. Uh, and then once the prescriptions were lifted, I'm sure it didn't go away completely, but where like you went from being scared of men in kilts to, uh, Whoa, there's a guy in a kilt. We can have a big party now. You know, you got a real fancy party when a Highlander shows up uh, completely bedecked and tartan and all that. So it kind of felt like I was doing that gig last night. Uh, and along that same time period, um, there's a collection of music, uh, that is recorded by a piper, not in London, but in Aberdeenshire named, uh, John Sutherland. And I've played some stuff from Sutherland before, but, uh, when I was getting ready for my Piper's Gathering talk and really all year, I've been thinking, man, I need to spend more time in these single musicians collections like John Sutherland, William Lytton, um, <laughs> I have others too, but my brain just completely stalled out, uh, and remembering who else. Uh, but anyway, so that's what this episode's going to be, is kind of exploring John Sutherland's manuscript. Sutherland was an interesting cat. Um, he played several bagpipes, it seems likely. He certainly played pastoral pipes. I think he learned how to play or learned how to read music by looking at pastoral pipe, um, tutors, uh, just based on kind of how he notates Highland piping. Um, he also probably played Highland pipes. Um, and the thing that's so cool about Sutherland's manuscript is that he has fingering charts and his fingering chart for Highland pipes goes all the way up to the high C. Uh, the thing that's f funky about it is, like I said, I think Sutherland learned how to read and write music by looking at pastoral pipe, uh, tutors. And so rather than it being a high C, he actually starts the, the music on, like like below the staff, like where Illin pipe music is generally set. Um, so it's it's not a high uh, C, it's a high E and a high F is what he calls it. There's also some typos on his um, on his his worksheet, but that's okay. 
it's maybe not fair to call them typos per se, but just his fingering chart. He, he must have had a really weird chanter if it worked that way. So his uh, some of the things that maybe aren't typos, but are just like a character of the chanter and read he was, he was using is that his it's a totally open fingering. So like uh, there's no. Like when you're in the upper hand stuff, the bottom hand is completely open. Um, but the thing that I think is a typo is his, what I assume is actually a high B, but he has it as a high E, remember? Um, he has that note being fingered, in, like on every chanter I've ever played, it would just sound as the high A rather than the high B. And I, I think it was just an error on his part. And like these, this fingering chart is not, you know, it's not published. It's just in his notes. And like, I don't know if he was intending to publish it or what, but, uh, so I'm inclined to think it's an error, but here I, I recorded his, um, his fingering chart on my new Henderson chanter. The Henderson chanter that I have has been readed up by Chris Apps. It's probably 110, maybe 120 year old chanter. And I haven't, I played it and then put it down for a while to finish really poly. And I haven't really picked up Highland pipes again until, uh, recording this episode. And, I have to say the the Henderson Chanter, like the spacing on the holes are, is about the same, but it's a chunky boy. It's like uh, playing it, I, I switching from my Hardy Chanter, which is from the 60s, to this Henderson Chanter, which is from, you know, probably 1910 or 1900 or so. Um, it's It's got that same kind of fatness that the Donald McDonald Chanter had. Uh, so it's sort of interesting in that regard. Uh, but anyway, you can hear the scale. This is me kind of trying to play exactly how... Sutherland has it with a kind of weird fingering, and then I just do another quick run of a scale getting up to high C, how I would do it, and how that Henderson Chanter has been readed to do it, thanks to Chris Apps. That scale is sort of like, so So this Sutherland's manuscript is on uh, Ross Anderson's website, that Ross's music page, which is just absolutely a treasure trove. And if you haven't visited it, you should uh, check it out. Um, Ross has a has an interesting kind of write-up on Sutherland that's worth reading. I read it years ago uh, and kind of didn't read it all uh, before this episode, uh, which I'm kicking myself for. <laughs> Probably should have, but I'm short on time. Um but it's it's interesting stuff. Uh, Ross mentions that there's this fingering chart for the Highland pipe uh, with the extended range. Uh, there's a couple fingering charts in Sutherland's manuscript, and I had found all the other ones, but I kept looking for the Great Highland bagpipe one that included this extended range, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, and finally, I'm kind of reorganizing my computer files and kind of putting all of the various PDFs and archives I had in one spot. And I was looking at Ross's music page and saw that I didn't have a downloaded copy of the front matter, uh, which he has as a separate PDF host. I downloaded it and there it was, there was the, the kind of phantom missing, uh, Highland pipe chanter or Highland pipe fingering chart that goes up to high C, uh, which again, uh, Sutherland has it as a high, um, F because <laughs> he has it uh, starting where a pastoral chanter would start. Um, anyway, so it, this has been like the Rosetta Stone for years of like, I think Piper's like, there's whispers of Piper's playing up in the second octave, but having an actual fingering chart that says this is for the Highland bagpipe. Uh, and it says specifically that this is for the Highland bagpipe and this fingering chart is for if the bag is under the left arm, which I think is a lovely detail for, um, you know, just the specific specificity of it, right? Like, um, bagpipes were a heck of a lot less standardized, uh, in the olden days, right? Before military piping and competitions started to really dictate what was happening. And the competitions were already happening. If, if John Sutherland's manuscript really is from 1785, I think, um, that's a couple years into the Highland bagpipe competitions that are put on by, um, is it the London Highland Society or something? The the first like bagpipe competitions that Angus Mackay writes about start in the 1780s. Um, but Sutherland 
you know, maybe didn't engage in those or whatever. Um, but it still took some time for the left arm to be become standardized. I think that's more like military use, uh, kind of when the big anti left hand stuff got going in, in earnest. I'm looking at my wall. I have a uh, wood or a engraving of the first winner of that bagpipe competition. I think his name is. Well, I should just stand up and look at it, shouldn't I? Yeah, it's Neil McLean uh, was the first winner of the competition, and he was awarded a bagpipe. Um, and again, like having prize bagpipes, this is when so much starts to change about Highland piping, where now in the 1780s, we've got a, an award-winning bagpipe. Uh, so Neil McLean's pipes are hammer top drones rather than chalice top. Um, they're clearly made out of, well, I mean, it's an engraving, so like who knows, but it's looks like they're made out of blackwood. looks like they've got some kind of white stuff decorating them, either ivory or silver or who knows what. Um, but it's also the more standard two tenor, one bass combination of drones, uh, which we take for granted now as the usual, but uh, certainly wasn't uh, standardized uh, throughout the 18th century. Um, which So for, you know, the long history of Highland piping, you know, mostly it's two tenor drones and uh, occasionally a bass drone. It takes a while for the uh, two tenors, one bass to become really standardized. But uh, anyway, Neil McLean, uh, to get back on topic, is playing the the engraving has him playing with a bag under his right arm and with his right hand uh, on top rather than his left hand on top. And, you know, it's possible somebody when I posted the um, I posted the woodcut. I'm not sure it was Adam Sanderson or, or who, but I posted the fingering chart and we we're talking, I think it was Adam was saying like, oh, I always wondered if it was just the reverse of the engraving or what, why so many pipes in the 18th and early 19th century are under the right arm rather than the left arm. And there's, it's certainly possible that it's just like a reverse image situation, but you know, really this instrument didn't need to be standardized because it's a solo instrument until a, a while, right? Like the first competition, uh, Angus Mackay notes about it, mentions that all the like winners or all the, the competitors marched around a square playing uh, McCrimmon Shall Never Return, or the popular McCrimmon Peabrook. I'm not sure if he actually names it McCrimmon Shall Never Return or not, but... Um, so they're all they all like played that in unison. And that was sort of weird that a bunch of pipers would play in unison. Um, it's like speaks to changing the changing instrument. Anyway, this is all to say that, you know, when Sutherland Manuscript comes out, it's like... Nothing is really set in stone. Um, I mean, and it doesn't come out. It's just his notes. Like, it is his book. The Some of the things in it, the fact that there are fingering charts, the fact that he has an index makes me think that he might have intended to publish it, uh, but he never did, as far as we know. Um, but it's a it's such a cool collection of tunes. Um, so this episode is just me playing through a bunch of it. I'm going to do the Highland Pipe stuff first. Uh, there's just two tunes. It's sort of funny. Um, there's no... the well, yeah, so the, the whole the whole thrust of my talk at Piper's Gathering was that um, there were, you know, I'm kind of operating under this half musically illiterate uh, format where like I kind of understand where notes go, but I don't understand key signatures really. Um, and I don't really understand time signatures terribly well either, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but like, I think I still make pretty darn good music with printed music from the 18th century. Like, at least it's pleasing to me, which is, uh, you know, I guess if you're not entertaining yourself, why are you making music? Um, and it's pleasing enough that y'all tune into me. So uh, maybe you're hate listening, but I don't, I don't think you are. Um, so anyway, so looking at John Sutherland's manuscript, like that's that's clearly what's going on, right? Um, to me, that's clearly what's going on. The fact that his Highland bagpipe setting is uh, like his his that it's it starts with low c rather than low g right um tells me that he didn't really think too hard about where his chanter was sounding versus where uh, the notes would go it's possible he had a d highland bagpipe chanter uh like it's not outside of the realm of possibility but i think what's going on is he learned from uh, gaffigan's uh, pastoral pipe tutorial of like how to play the new bagpipe or the pastoral pipe which is, I think, a 1740s uh, book, where everything starts in, down in C. The, the lead-in note, the low C, is the, the first note in Gaffigan. The cool thing, too, like, um, Gaffigan or Gahagan, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it, but, like, in that little how to play this instrument, Gaffigan uses key signatures in his music, but he never explains it in the tutorial section of how to play the bagpipe, uh, which I think is, is sort of a recurring theme. I'm looking forward to, to checking that out. Now, interestingly enough, in... Like interesting to me anyway, in the tunes that 
Um, there's no key signatures for the tunes which follow the Highland bagpipe scale. There's, you know, it's just blank, which I guess means it's in G or something. I'm not, again, I'm music illiterate. But then later, um, most of the book does have key signatures uh, indicated. And it looks like almost every tune that I'm playing today, okay, it gets more varied. But it's all, it's the same, it's the same marks that I'm used to seeing on, um, you know, on, on inland pipe music where it's either an F sharp or it's an F sharp and a C sharp. Uh, so I can read what the notes are supposed to say, but I, I can't tell you what the keys are there. Guys, so bad. Nobody should listen to this. Um, anyway, so, so clearly Sutherland has some understanding of, of key signatures enough to kind of switch back and forth between the two, but, um, but yeah, not enough to note his bagpipe, his Highland pipes in a different place. And I think it's kind of interesting. One of the key features of pastoral pipes, right? There's like two things that are really important to keep in mind with pastoral pipes, in my head anyway. One, like it's it's essentially the predecessor to the Illin pipe, right? I don't think that's too controversial of a statement. But the big difference from it and Inland pipes is that it has that lead-in note. It has a low C. So sort of like Highland pipes has a low G, pastoral pipes have a low C. So if... You know, if Sutherland played like flutes and uh, uh, and you know other bagpipes, it makes sense that he would associate Highland pipes with pastoral chanters that way too. Like, oh, there's the lead-in note. That's what matters here. The other thing that matters with pastoral pipes, because there's that lead-in note, it's really hard to play closed. You oftentimes you could take the foot off, right, and then play it like a slightly more standard inland pipe chanter. I think, um, but I'm not sure if like the staccato playing or, or closed playing was that common as a result of that. Uh, another feature of pastoral pipes is they seem to go up into the second, like way up into the second octave uh, quite easily. And and maybe this is a thing that's true of like 18th century inland pipes too, um, that that was more of a, a virtue. Like nowadays playing inland pipe music, it's pretty rare. Like you're not going to hear a lot of session tunes where pipers are playing stuff that get beyond the... Um, uh, like high B, like high B is sort of where we stop on Ellen Pipes for, for most tunes. You can go up to C and, and D, like a, a third D on Ellen Pipes, but it's pretty rare. Whereas if you look at pastoral pipe collections, it tends to be a little bit more common to get up that way. And even even on some O'Farrell tunes, it's fairly common. And like O'Farrell, I don't think has anything that uses the C. Um, the other thing, well, anyway, I should we should play... Uh, we should play the Highland Pipe stuff before I keep on pontificating. Uh, also, my goodness, we're almost 20 minutes in and I haven't played a full tune yet. So this is uh, the first tune. So in the front matter, we've got the scale for Highland Pipes. Um, and then the scale is made for the bag to be under the left arm. Um, and then the first tune after that he has is, of course, uh, the Cameronian Rant, uh, which is, you know, part of the whole Caberfay family. I had a whole third episode planned for that Caberfay arc. Um, that was just going to be various settings of Cameronian rant, but I decided that we had been through enough uh, <laughs> with that tune. But uh, anyway, here is uh, John Sutherland's setting for the Cameronian rant, and that's using my hearty chanter from the 1960s. <laughs> So I don't really know what to make of the positioning of this. You know, I haven't seen the book in person. Adam Sanderson has, and uh, hopefully he's going to go take another look at it uh, when he is back out in, in the free air again, because I, I don't really know how the book is laid out. You know, all I've got to go on is Ross Anderson's um, layout here. And so, you know, front matter is what Ross calls it, and it's got a scale, and then it's got two tunes. 
Cameroonian rant uh, is not on the index of tunes. So Sutherland has an index uh, organized alphabetically saying what page number things are on. Cameroonian rant doesn't have a page number um, and there's no uh, there's no number for it. There is a setting for Capper Caper Fay in Sutherland, which is, you know, very much similar tune here, but it is, you know, generally they are different. Cameroonian rant is like often the um just a slightly different version of Caber Fay, I guess. But um anyway, the other tune that's in the front matter is equally confusing. Uh it says this wants to be churned. And I'm not sure if that's really supposed to be the title. Oftentimes Sutherland's titles are in um, like the the first letter is capital and the this is a lowercase t, um, I'm pretty sure. So like, I don't know if this is an editorial note or what. And there, to me, there is two tunes here, uh, or maybe like a tune and then a couple fragments. Um, so I'm just going to play, I don't know, I, I kind of tried to figure out how to make it a tune. There's some choices that he's making. I think this is a rough draft that he didn't wind up finishing. Um, I think it can still be a good sounding tune, but I'm having to kind of ignore some of the details of what Sutherland has in order to make it sound musical to me. So it's definitely worth looking at the PDF on your own to see if you recognize it. I posted a, uh, a video of me playing it and Pete Stewart thinks it might be off. She goes, um, Robert Mitchell also had a suggestion that I could hear the similarities, but it wasn't quite right. But I think it, he thought it sounded like uh, old wife in the mill dust from the battlefield band recording. And like, yeah, there's definitely some, some similar sticks there. Um, sticks? Is that what I'm looking for? Anyway, bones. The bones of the tune are similar, but different. Uh, anyway, here it is. I, I recorded it. Um, I tried it on Highland Pipes. You can listen to my version of it on Highland Pipes if you go over to my social media stuff. But uh, I just did another recording of it on the Felsberg Small Pipes. That's a little bit more musical, so I'm going to use that instead. In that recording, I also added the, the what I think is a separate tune. The like I've definitely played that tune and seen it elsewhere, um, and I, it is not. It doesn't feel at all the same to the above it. And some there's sort of a weird me trying to play the second part too. I got distracted. Robin was <laughs> oftentimes when Robin won't sleep, I put him in a little baby backpack thing and play bagpipes like small pipes, and that puts him to sleep most times. But, uh, if I time it wrong and he's not quite ready to go to sleep and I put him in the backpack, uh, the basement has low ceilings. And if I'm reading music while playing and recording, I'm generally standing in the perfect position where Robin's head is right beneath a light orb, which I don't know if all kids are into this, but my kid is obsessed with the light fixtures in this house that look like boobs. Uh, so we call them sky boobs. Robin's obsessed with them. And he has recently figured out that, uh, if he worms his way out of the backpack, he can stand on the backpack and reach the sky boob. Uh, and so that's what was going on uh, that led me to be distracted. So anyway, not the perfect take, but I'll leave it in there because uh, I'm sure, like with all of these tunes, I am sure they are played by uh, some of y'all and probably have different titles. So what do you know that as? What do you know this wants to be churned? First, the, the main tune, and I did flip the parts like Pete Stewart suggested. Um, so in the... In Sutherland setting, it's da 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 da
So when you heard me play it, it's do ha dum ba da ha di ha da ha dum ba da he da 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 he dum ba ka da do da ka da 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 ka he dum. Yeah, you really. I don't know. Mitchell might be right. I think it could be just a wonky setting of "Old Wife in the Mill Dust," um, but those runs are really interesting. It's a cool sounding tune, but it definitely feels unpolished. Uh, anyway, so the the reality is, I recorded this um, all of these tunes before noticing the Highland Bagpipe uh, tune book. So like I was, there's a couple tunes in Sutherland's book that fit for Highland Pipes, but I was looking for it to be where I'm expecting Highland Pipes to be in that kind of G to high A range. Um, And now realizing that Sutherland penned down his Highland Pipe stuff in a low, like in C to, um, to A or C to D, like there might be more in there, but I was looking for anything with nine notes stretch and I found a, so anyway, that's all to say that there's maybe more Highland piping in here than I expected, especially because Sutherland considers like uh, Highland pipe tunes to be to include uh, more than nine notes, but to include eleven notes, right? This is another kind of interesting thing about like my experiences with playing high Bs and high Cs and Highland pipes. Like we've got the scale for Highland bagpipes; it includes the high the the two notes above the normal scale, and then the two tunes that follow fit within that Highland bagpipe range, but they don't use those high notes. Um, and so it's it's kind of tricky. There's not a ton of repertoire that perfectly goes up into that second octave range. Um, like I said, Eliza Ross does a lot of it. A lot of those Eliza Ross tunes use a high B. Um, which makes me think that a lot of the pipers on Rossi played high Bs. Um, but yeah, it's really easy to like not ever play those notes. And that's, that seems to be the, the reality of pastoral pipes too, is the, uh, I'm just going based on what Ross says in his little write-up, there's only two tunes in the entire manuscript that use that lead-in C note. And now, like looking at the Highland Pipe scale, I guess if it uses a low C and also goes super high range, then you know it's a pastoral pipe setting. But like, you just don't use that 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 foot joint very often to get up to that uh, or to get down rather to that leaded note. And when I it was funny, I at Piper's Gathering, I got a chance to play a McCandless set of pastoral pipes that Mike McNich had, and. I got them and I, and I immediately couldn't think of a single tune to play that would use that low C. <laughs> it was just like, it was so, it was like, oh, here I have it. I can't think of a tune to play. Um, and it's awkward, man. Like, I did not love it, did not love um, playing that channer and the sound it came out. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I need to get one. I need to spend more time with one to like see if I can crack its secrets, you know. But um, I'm glad I got to play one and I'm glad that it it didn't immediately t- speak to me in a way that was like, yes, you must, I must be yours, Jeremy. Um, anyway, so the first tune that is like on the page numbers and in, in the index is a tune called, um, the lady's favorite. Um, and yeah, so let's, uh, let's hear the lady's favorite on Inland Pipes. I, I think I didn't do a great job of recording this and, uh, there's some things I recorded that I'm pretty proud of. Um, but I don't really have time to go back and re-record it since it's already, uh, we are past 24 hours late for this episode. So anyway, here is the lady's favorite from John Sutherland's manuscript. Uh, this tune is, I assume, uh, a pastoral pipe tune, um, uh, based on its positioning. The stretch is from kind of low F up to, uh, high G. So you got, yeah, I could do that on Highland Pipes or by, on Small Pipes by taping down the F. But anyway, here it is on, on Inland Pipes first. And, you know, really, I guess I should be doing all of this wildly open and not playing staccato, but I didn't think of that <laughs> until I was sitting here getting ready to record it. So I think next time I revisit Sutherland, I might try that. I might try playing everything really open like you might have to do it on Pastoral Pipes, because that's, that's jarring, um, playing it as open as you can. Anyway, here is the lady's favorite on Irish Pipes.
super excited to hear um, what you all know these tunes as. Like um, some of these coming up, I know I I know as different titles than than what he has, uh, than what Sutherland had. But uh, yeah, what what tunes of these do you play? What do you call them? I'm just I can't wait. Uh, to hear how people have interacted with some of this music. This next one is one of my favorite tunes ever. I used to play this uh, like all the time. Um, I constantly played a set at Grand Portage on Ellen Pipes of O'Farrell tunes. The first one being the Paddywhack with variations and then the Black Joke with variations. And uh, yeah, really love that tune. And it's weird. Uh, a lot of tunes that I play, uh, you know, like the tunes that I used to play as part of like my public history museum work are just permanently ingrained in my fingers and paddywhack has sort of disappeared from it um mostly because o'farrell has two variations that i used to have a hard time keeping track of when they came in um and partially because paddywhack is just in so many tune collections of the 18th century that i wind up kind of seeing it and playing many different versions so anyway here is sutherland setting for paddywhack This next tune is called Kiss About the Haystack. There's a tune in Rook's manuscript called Kiss Her Aback of the Haystack, but it's a different tune, so I'm not, um, I can't find any, like, this tune sounds really familiar, but I can't find this title in traditional tune archive. One of the exciting and challenging things about Sutherland's manuscript is it clearly hasn't been plumbed uh, the same way that a lot of old sources are, and, uh, or mined, I guess, and altered into ABC notation so it can live on traditional tune archives. So, uh, it's not in there. So there's a bunch of tunes in here that are clearly concordant with all sorts of things, but doesn't show up on traditional tune archives. So anyway, here's Kiss About the Haystack. Yeah, certainly a lovely tune. Um, man, that's another one that would fit really well 
not quite really well on border pipes. Yeah, I'm just wishing I took another stab at some of these tunes on border pipes. Uh, anyway, this next one is a, another example of like John Sutherland not being um, mined much. Uh, so this is Salt Beef and Dumplings, which you might sound familiar but different, right? So um, this tune is probably better known as Salt Fish and Dumplings, and better known to me as the Shepherd's Hornpipe, uh, which shows up in O'Farrell's uh, Pocketbook Companion, and also is one of the tunes that Jerry O'Sullivan plays. So it sounded really familiar to me as I was playing it, but I couldn't place it easily because salt beef and dumplings isn't what it's known as by anybody else except for Sutherland. So anyway, here is salt beef and dumplings, also known as a shepherd's hornpipe. All right, so the next tune is an interesting case here. So this tune is called The Peasant's Dance. Um, and one of the things I really like about Sutherland's collection is there's so many country dance tunes and things that sometimes, like, I really love looking through country dance collections. There's so much more country dance books published than bagpipe music books in the 18th and 19th century. Um, and so I've, you know, been obsessed with looking through those. As y'all will remember, I have many a favorite country dance book. Um... But what's interesting here is that, like, I don't know where Sutherland's getting his music necessarily. And just doing a quick little look, this next one, The Peasant's Dance, there is one note difference between um, Sutherland's setting and Thompson's setting from the 1750s. Unfortunately, uh, Thompson, like, published a bunch of tunes, a bunch of country dance books. And I've got a couple of them in PDF form of, like, the original, but mostly... Uh, I only have ABC notation of them. So the, you know, that one note that's different um, might not be on the original. It might be that whoever did the ABC notation just transcribed it differently. Um, I think both kind of work musically. Um, let me back you away from the mic here. This is how uh, Sutherland has the tune. This is the, the errant part here. And let me just play you Sutherland setting, and then I'll play you what the ABC is for Thompson. You tell me which one's better, I guess. Alright, that was Sutherland, and this is Thompson setting based on the ABCs. I'm not even sure if you can hear the difference. So here's just, it's just the one note difference. Uh, here's Sutherland. Thompson. It's just that repeated note. B da 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 da. 
Sutherland doesn't have the repeated note there where Thompson does. So I don't know. Maybe Sutherland had Thompson's book, changed that one note. Maybe Thompson originally doesn't have that repeating note. It's just ABC notation. Kind of might keep an eye on that. I'm, I'm always curious to figure out like who's what, what they're playing from. You know, like is Sutherland hearing this by ear? Did Sutherland buy a copy of a popular country dance book and copy the tunes that he liked? Um, what's going on? This is just so close. It's just one note off. So that makes me the reason I don't trust ABC notation is that's a that's a easy thing to to change. Anyway, here is the whole tune. This is uh, the peasant's dance. So this next tune is called uh, The Nosegay, and the only other version I can find of it uh, on Traditional Tune Archive comes from a collection of Scots, English, and Irish tunes by Neil Stewart from 1788, uh, and it is not the same setting at all, really. Uh, But anyway, here is Sutherland setting for The Nosegay. This next tune has a traditional tune archive entry that looks like Caberfay. Like, there are so many tunes that it is related to, including one that shakes the barley. Um, but I will say, like, so this this tune is uh, David David Duncan Davison is what Sutherland has it as. The other interesting thing is there is an ABC notation of this uh, on traditional tune archive, but it doesn't, the tune doesn't make any more sense to me. The problem is that it, it sounds so much like so many other things um, that I had a hard time holding myself to the notes and not running away with it and just playing the tune I wanted it to be. Um, so anyway, this is maybe my least favorite, <laughs> maybe my least favorite recording. Uh, but here is Duncan Davison, and we'll talk a bit more after here.
Yeah, I don't know. I kind of... I, I like that better than I remembered. Um, but yeah, it's also known as like the 1812 March, 1812 Step, Donegal Lassies, Duncan Davy, um, Handy Handy's Highland Fling. Like, these are all concordances. But it sounds so close to Wow, Would You Not Fight? Uh, like, Wow, Would You Not Fight for Charlie? Or um, that other military march that I get distracted. It's like two tunes squished together. Um, anyway, interesting, interesting tune and just interesting placement of like the the dotting and cutting made it really hard to like, hard to make sense of, I suppose. So the next tune is Nancy Dawson, kind of lovely little English country dance sounding tune. Um, Again, it's it's a popular one. It shows up in a bunch of different country dance collections. Uh, nothing is quite note for note, not even close um, from what Sutherland has. So I'm not sure where he got it or if it's just his own version of it. I will just mention like a concordance that I really like uh, in the, the Lincolnshire um, manuscript, um, Thomas Sands' Lincolnshire thing, uh, and some other places too. It's known as Piss on the Grass, which is a pretty... Great alternate title. Uh, anyway, here is Nancy Dawson. This is a wild one. Uh, this is the ninth tune, I guess, in the book. This is Balti Hurrah. It's hard to read the title of it, honestly, on the, the page with the music from the scan. But looking at the index, you can see page five, one tune, Balti Hurrah. Uh, so, yeah, couldn't find anything on traditional tune archive. Couldn't find anything on foreign archive. Um, I'm just guessing it's the Balti Hurrah. And I think this tune has got some potential. Like, it's, I love a, a big, many-parted tune. Um, anyway, here it is, the Balti Hurrah. Okay, so it's it's so funny. This next one uh, is Trip It Up the Stairs, and uh, I did a whole uh, episode on playing different settings for Trip It Up Stairs back in Season 6, and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, I really enjoyed Sutherland's setting, but mostly for messing around with small pipes, and I, I didn't really take, I, I didn't realize how interesting it was. So uh, 
Trip It Upstairs solves a couple problems for me, right? I wondered if he was copying Thompson's Caledonian Country Dances. He's not. Uh, Thompson has a setting for Trip It Upstairs, and it is pretty wildly different. It starts on D, whereas Sutherland's setting, really uniquely to it, starts on uh, uh, starts all the way on C rather than starting on D. So, like, which gives it a whole different vibe, I think, um, by having it kind of based in, in that spot. So Thompson setting would be... And then cellar lenses. It's like arguably way more pipey because um, it uses that C that uh, Illen Pipers like so much. Uh, anyway, so here it is on Illen Pipes. Um, looking through like every other setting, there are some different places that people start tripping up the stairs. Sutherland seems to be unique in starting it at the C. So anyway, here it is uh, from Sutherland on Illen Pipes. <laughs> I'm not kidding when I, I recorded that as an afterthought. I was so fixated on exploring the kind of Highland pipe possibilities or like Scottish small pipe possibilities because it fits. It fits on that nine note spread. Um, but as I mentioned here, Sutherland has it at like starting at C. So it doesn't start, uh, it starts like in the middle C, not way back down low C. So he doesn't have it set for Highland pipes, like how. Sutherland wrote music for Highland Pipes, but it looks like it would fit on it for us today. Anyway, we're going to finish up the episode with me playing more Trip It Up the Stairs. So I want to kind of just, just move along, I guess, other than to say, like, I don't know, it's, it's just it's just really cool. <laughs> it just It's interesting, like, if this is a pastoral setting, I don't, you know, I played a pastoral chanter for all of two minutes, you know, before being like, yeah, thanks, Mike. That's not for me. Uh, I don't want to ruin everybody's sound vibes here. It's, it's weird playing in public, man. At Piper's Gathering, there's kind of this lovely, you know, the, where everybody had their stores and stuff set up and, you know, McNitch had a, had a little stall and like Ian McCarg and Mike and I and John Charles and everybody was just hanging out. And, but like, apart from us hanging out at, McNitch's table with McCarg and everyone like there's also everyone else is just milling about so it's not really the same uh, vibe as when I'm generally getting familiar with an instrument where I'm locked away in a basement and everybody in the house is sleeping uh, so I was too self-conscious to explore it but what I like so much about Sutherland's setting for Trip It Up The Stairs is it is by having it start and kind of home base at that C note, like that is just absolutely the note that Ellen Pipers are obsessed with. Like I keep thinking back to, uh, Benjamin Jaber's, uh, like learn a tune video on the Peter Ellen's website where he talks about, uh, he just mentioned, he kind of makes an offhand comment about how Ellen Pipers are obsessed with that C cause we can do kind of the, like some of that yaw stuff there. And, uh, and yeah, once he said it, I see it everywhere. And I like the idea that maybe John Sutherland moved this 
tune around so that it could a sound like a little bit more funky and a little bit more uh minor e or kind of sad which i'm a fan of this is the other realization i had over the course of the piper's gathering presentation like i like playing around with keys mostly because i have a tendency to enjoy morose sounding or kind of minor key things that's why i love the halloween episode so much it gives me an excuse to do that um so maybe Sutherland is that same way. Or maybe his chanter also had just a really sweet sounding C, and so he wanted to make sure to show off that note, so he moved Trippet up the stairs, a tune that everybody recognized, starting in a different location. He put it there. Like, he's making some... I don't, I don't know. He's making some choices with that tune. Um, anyway, uh, let's get on to uh, the next one on this page. This is Fanny's uh, Fancy. that's a very lovely tune and clearly somewhat popular uh, in Scotland uh, towards the end of the 18th century. It shows up in Aird uh, and also in Neil Stewart's uh, collection from 1788. Um, but yeah, different, different settings than what Sutherland has anyway. But uh, yeah, really, really lovely tune. Um, all right. I think, you know, we're going to run out of time to do everything I had recorded here. I'd hope to do um, the first 10 pages or so, but we're going to we're going to call it quits at this page, which is page number six. Um, you know, there's a lot of tunes though, but, uh, anyway, I'm going to play, I'm going to go out on playing trip it up the stairs again, but this time on Scottish small pipes. And I kind of, you know, these pipes from, from quiet Piper from Rob Felsberg have that second thumb hole on the back. So you can do that C natural. And as demonstrated by, I feel I, God, I was I was feeling guilty for what I did to trip it up the stairs because um, I was turning it into this funky minor thing to play it on small pipes. But now realizing that Sutherland himself kind of messed around with it to make it sound a little bit more funky, I feel just absolutely empowered to do this. Um, so anyway, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to use that C natural key or, or hole on the small pipes to kind of make this tune speak to me a little bit more and I wound up just kind of improvising some variation sets with um with the tune too so I I just love it I absolutely love it I wound up making a whole set too and I was frustrated because I didn't know how I was gonna like play this variation set as well as the whole set of tunes um but we didn't get to those other tunes so this is my out as I get to play trip it up the stairs twice here and then once again next time we finish up this discussion of Sutherland um yeah, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think of Sutherland? What do you think of his selection of tunes? What do you think of this music? How much of it do you already know? How much of it do you play? How much of it is old? I'm just a buzz. I'm a buzz. You know, the whole point of this podcast was to explore the likely repertoire of bagpipers in the 18th and 19th century. And for me, it was really specifically bagpipers in the 1780s and 90s. And um you know, I've looked through Sutherland's manuscript. I've I've played almost every tune in here poorly at some point and written notes about it. Um, 
but it's been a while and it's been great to revisit it and just to feel like my instincts were not completely garbage. Like some of my choices I, I feel a little self-conscious of and I see another bagpiper in the 1780s making similar choices to the ones that I made. Like, I can't tell you how good that feels. It feels pretty stinking good. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll go out on Trip It Up The Stairs on some Quiet Piper Small Pipes and yeah, just lovely stuff. And thanks everybody for listening. Sorry again for the delay. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com uh, slash way too twog where there's already a bonus episode up of uh basically the next five pages or more of um of sutherland's tunes uh i wound up i thought i did when i released the tunes only episode there's a couple errors in that posting but it was still like almost an hour of just tunes like oh okay this is going to wind up being at least two episodes at some point so uh anyway here's trip it up the stairs and we'll catch you back in a couple weeks with either the conclusion of this or maybe something else i don't know there's a lot of a lot of episodes in the can i gotta get through so uh thanks everybody for listening uh yeah do get in touch uh you can either email me at way at gmail.com or also have another a new Gmail address at bagpipehistory at gmail.com. Happy to get your emails there, especially if uh, they're big, because I'm running out of space on way too twog. Uh, so we're, yeah, bagpipehistory at gmail is a little bit easier to find, I suppose. So, uh, man, mm. tell ya, this is, uh, this has been fun. Uh, here is Trip It Up the Stairs from John Sutherland. Thanks, huge thank you to Ross Anderson for having this up there. And, you know, if you're interested in this at all, go play through the tunes and read Ross's little write-up. Um, he has much more smart things to say than I do uh, about it. So, anyway, cheers. Cheers.